0: I begin with these words of hope given to all of you this morning. When our Lord Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus then asked her, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Who is coming into the world. These same words of hope are hope for all of you today from Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. The first thing I want to say that is not news to any of you if you knew Mr. Frank for more than 10 seconds, <laughs> then you'd better have more than 10 seconds to give him. <laughs> you know that he loved to tell stories. Often his stories had to do with the time he spent in China or Korea, or as Mr. Frank liked to say, the Orient. I can remember many times when I would be teaching Sunday school or a Wednesday night lesson, or perhaps making a point in an elders' meeting or a school board meeting where I served on, in both of those places with Frank. And Mr. Frank would decide that it was time for a story about his time in China or Korea, and he would take us to China. Now, sometimes we didn't want to go to China. (laughs) We had material to cover, we had an agenda, and there were things to get done. But Mr. Frank wanted to take us to China, so off to China we went. Frequent were the trips to China. He loved to tell stories, and second, his stories always had a point. It has been observed by someone wiser than me that when men are young, they tend to tell stories about their future. Most of their life lies ahead of them, so most of their storytelling is predictive. They talk about what they want to do, what they hope to accomplish, and what they believe their life is for. Older men tend to tell stories about their past. Most of their life is behind them, and so most of their storytelling is memorializing and reflective in nature. They talk about what they've seen, what they've done what they've learned, and what their life has been about. I only knew Mr. Frank, and it was always Mr. Frank, in the the latter years. So I knew him as a storyteller, of course, but Mr. Frank's stories were not simply anecdotes for the purpose of reminiscing. They always had a point. They always made a point, and quite persuasively, I might add. And that's what Stories do, broadly speaking, they make a point, they make an argument, they express a conviction, so it was with Mr. Frank's stories. They had a kind of proverbial quality to them, and they always made you think, even if at some point some of it confused you, which let's let's be honest, sometimes it did, it still had some point you were supposed to take from it. So having told you that Mr. Frank loved to tell stories and that those stories always had a point, I want to talk to you briefly this morning while we're gathered together about Mr. Frank's story and how it is, in fact, a story of his Lord Jesus. When I think about the purpose and value of storytelling as an art, I cannot help but think of Jesus. He often spoke in parables, which are stories that have a point. Though sometimes they were told to actually confuse and disorient those who you might say were refusing to hear in faith. You might even say they were listening in arrogance. As best I can tell, Mr. Frank told stories with a point because he wanted people to examine what they were saying, what they were talking about, what they were thinking, and all of you gathered here today to bid farewell to Mr. Frank because he meant something to you. As a father or a teacher, or a friend. I can think of no better way to honor an old storyteller than to tell you why his own story was the way it was. Frank Elliott was a firm believer in Jesus Christ, first of all, and to the very end. His life is part of a larger story, if you like, of the God who created everything, a story about our first parents, and how they fell into sin and brought the curse of death into the world. A story about how the nations were then made and how there are common bonds that unite all men so that stories even from other parts of the world can still resonate deeply with us even if we haven't lived there or experienced the culture. But the story of the Bible, which is the story that defined and shaped Frank's life and Nelda's life, is a story that confronts the most pressing and weighty questions of life. One of those being, what do we do with death? I don't have to tell you that especially at times like this when we gather for a funeral or a memorial service, it is the unavoidable question that sort of presses its way into our souls uninvited. We try to silence it perhaps with expressions like, well, death is natural. And we all die in the end. Which is not the way we handle things before death, right? If someone is diagnosed with cancer, we do not serenely smile and say, well, cancer is natural. We all have cells, and some of them go bad after all. No one talks this way. Nor should we talk this way about death. The Bible has three things that I'm going to share with you very briefly. Three things to say about death. One, that it is not natural. Two, that it is not the end. And three, that death itself is not immortal. So first, death is not natural. As I said a moment ago, one of the cliched perhaps phrases that we might be tempted to use in times like this is death is natural. Even as you say it, though, you know it's not true. Even as you say it, your heart screams and rages. In John chapter 11, when Jesus comes to the grave of Lazarus, who is dead, the first thing he does is weep. Death is not natural. It is, it is so much against the way of things that God himself weeps at the graveside. Forever dignifying our grief, by the way. It is not only okay to grieve, it is necessary and healthy for your soul. I'm sure if Mr. Frank was still on this side of glory, he could educate us all about the rituals of grief and mourning in Oriental cultures. All cultures have these rituals, after all. We're engaging in one right now. Why? There's a sense we all know we we need some sort of way to express our grief, yes, but also our constant hatred of death. And we do so with the confidence that even Jesus himself weeps at the graveside. So no, death is not natural. It is, as it were, an invader in this world. We were created to live forever. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that the Lord has put eternity into our hearts. That's why death is so grievous and so disorienting. It's out of place among a people who were made to live forever. It's out of place among a people who were created for a story that involves eternity. Next, death is not the end. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed to man to die once and then comes the judgment. How How different that is from the often expressed sentiment, well, we all die in the end. No, hardly. Rather, we all die before the end. Death is not the end. Death is not the extinguishing of your existence. It is the separation of body and soul while both await the day of the resurrection of the dead, and the final judgment. Death is not the end, it is the interlude. It is simply the bridge between two stories. The first of which, the story we are living out right now, the story which Mr. Frank has completed, that is, if you like, the prologue to the story yet to be written in eternity, when we will forget how to count up days and years such things won't have meaning anymore. Death is the end of our temporary earthly labor, but it is not the end, hardly. It is rather the last word before the real beginning. The third thing I said is that death is not immortal. That sounds weird. What what I mean is that Mr. Frank placed his hope and his faith in Jesus Christ who by his death on the cross, has put death to death. Death is not immortal. Death is not around forever. Death is bleeding out, and one day death will be crushed. And we will laugh about death as a defeated enemy and a distant memory, the way Mr. Frank laughed about distant stories of his glory days. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and when the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory death where is your victory o oh, death where is your sting theologian ben askins once observed death is swallowed up in the triumphant victory of jesus and his victory over death becomes our victory over death when we believe in him This hope of victory over even death itself can be found in no other name than that of Jesus Christ, for there's no other God but him. The difference between dying alone and dying while trusting Christ is like the difference between being run over by a truck and being run over by the shadow of a truck. So death is not immortal. In fact, Paul tells us also in 1 Corinthians 15, death is the last enemy to be destroyed. It's the last thing to go down. In other words, on the last day, the day of judgment, when the dead rise, Jesus will give his own life, immortal in the new heavens and the new earth, to all who have trusted him. He will judge all those who have rejected him, ignored him, cursed him, made little of him, and chosen instead to elect themselves to the position of God. So death is not immortal. It is an enemy of God. It is an enemy of you. It is an enemy of me. And one day it will be crushed along with all the other enemies of God. Now perhaps this sounds like a harsh ending to the story that God himself is writing. But if we are honest, we all want that ending. All the best stories end up with the wicked getting crushed. It's the story we all want. We just don't want to believe we're on the side of the wicked. We don't want to believe that we're the villains in the story. Mr. Frank loved to tell stories and Lord knows he had a lot of them. So I think a way to remember him is to ask, what what will yours be? What's your story right now? And how will the final paragraphs of your short prologue in this life read? Mr. Frank once told me he enjoyed it when we would confess together the text of the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're not familiar with it, it's a profound question, followed by a profound answer. It goes like this. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Amen. Mr. Frank's life was a life shaped by the greatest story of them all, of a people condemned to death and rescued by the Son of God, forgiven of all their sins by His own blood. His death became their death. When He was buried, all their sins were buried with Him. And when he rose again, they rose with him to the promise of life everlasting. And if your story is not shaped by that story, I can think of no better way to honor Mr. Frank than to say, repent of your sin today and of your efforts to write your own story, to be your own God, to dictate your own terms, to save your own life and to give it meaning. And instead, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen.